The Catechism of the Council Trent instructs priests with the care of souls that they should make baptism a frequent topic of instruction. And on God A.K. Sunday, since it has to do with John's baptism, I've just chosen this. Every year I'll have to preach about it, so I'll preach about baptism today. And most of what I've said, I hope, is familiar, because that's the idea. It's so important that we have to preach frequently on it. We'll start today with a quote I found while reading the journals of a pioneer priest in Miles City, Montana. Quote, I will relate one more genuine full-blooded baptism. Robert Kyle Matthews, born of Robert Matthews and his wife, Mary Jane, baptized July 31, 1881. Residence, Matthews Ranch, 20 miles below the junction of the Missouri and Yellowstone Rivers in North Dakota. They traveled 10 days and a half horseback, carried their provisions and oats for the horses, and a tent for the night. They said it would take as long to go home as it did to come. It took 21 days of travel to get that baby baptized. This was during the Sioux War. They were constantly in danger to be met by Indians, to be robbed of all they had, to be murdered, and their bodies left for the wolves to devour. Close quote. 21 days of travel during the Sioux War through country that even nowadays is rough country. It's about 200 miles horseback with a little baby traveling through absolute wilderness just to get to the priest to get their baby baptized. Well, one of the things we can rejoice about on Gaudete Sunday is that it's not necessary for us to ride ten and a half days through the wilderness crawling with war parties just to get to a priest. But it also ought to remind us of the incredible value that Catholics have put on having their babies baptized in a timely fashion. Why? Why have Catholics traditionally placed such a high value on getting their babies baptized promptly? I'll read you from the Ecumenical Council of Florence, the infallible teaching of the Church. Regarding children, indeed, because of danger of death, which can often take place, since no help can be brought to them by another resume than to the sacrament of baptism, through which they are snatched from the domination of the devil and adopted among the children of God, the Most Holy Roman Church advises that holy baptism ought not to be deferred for 40 or 80 days, but it should be conferred as soon as it can be done conveniently. The Catechism of the Council of Trent states, quote, Since infant children have no other means of salvation except baptism, we may easily understand how grievously those persons sin who permit them to remain without the grace of the sacrament any longer than necessity may require, close quote. This hasn't changed. It can't change. But just to show that, the instruction on infant baptism approved by Pope John Paul II on October 20th, 1980, makes clear, quote, For infants, baptism is entry into the church and a gateway to personal salvation. The church knows no other way apart from baptism for ensuring children's entry into eternal happiness. Accordingly, it is important to recall that the baptism of infants must be considered a serious duty. As for the time of the actual celebration, indications in the ritual shall be followed. The first consideration is the welfare of the child, that it may not be deprived of the benefit of the sacrament. As a rule, an infant should be baptized within the first weeks after birth. Close quote. The baptism of infants is a serious duty, and the first consideration is to get the child baptized so he's not deprived of the benefit of the sacrament. 
within a few weeks after birth because the church knows no other way for ensuring children's happiness entrance and eternal happiness don't delay baptizing a baby don't delay if everyone can't be there get junior baptized and have the party sometime later when everyone can be there because the first consideration has to be the immortal soul of that child that it may not be deprived from the benefit of the sacrament having a celebration is far below in terms of importance okay now today we're only going to cover the sacrament of baptism we'll talk later this upcoming year about what happens to babies that die without baptism we'll talk about the baptism of blood and the baptism of desire anyone that's lost a child that wasn't baptized be at peace that child is perfectly and totally happy but we're not going to deal with that topic today we only have the time to get through baptism proper okay let's start by reviewing the effects of baptism what are the effects of baptism there are since principal merciful effects of baptism the first merciful effect is the remission of sins. Baptism remits all sin, original and actual. The infallible teaching of the Council of Trent, quote, If anyone denies that by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is conferred in baptism, the guilt of original sin is remitted, or that all sin is not taken away, let him be anathema, close quote. Let him be anathema is a phrase that means let him be excommunicated. Big X, okay? Baptism remits all the guilt of original and actual sin. Every bit of it, every last speck. So if you had an adult that had never been baptized, live an absolutely insane life, an axe murderer on death row, and he converts, and he decides to get baptized, and he's baptized, it's all gone. All washed away, just like that. That's how merciful it is. Okay, that's the first one. It remits original actual sin the second effect is it remits all punishment due to sin all of it there's not a speck of purgatory time left when we go to confession our sins are, are forgiven but the punishment is may still remain we may have purgatory time depending on what we've done right if we haven't made perfect you never have to do penance after baptism okay it doesn't pertain to a baby because they haven't committed a sin it just washed away original sin but for an adult all gone everything doesn't matter how wild they were third merciful effect the soul of the newly baptized man is flooded with sanctifying grace that's another way of saying the soul is filled with supernatural life now if there's one thing I hope we always go away thinking see we need to have supernatural life when we die the only question that matters is do we have supernatural life if we do we'll go to heaven and we'll be able to live there if we don't we can't live the life of heaven because heaven is above our nature we can't get there from here of our own nature and we couldn't live there even if we could get there we need to have a power from above our nature that comes from God it's a supernatural power that God gives to us that enables us to live in heaven that's power is called sanctifying grace we die with grace we can go to heaven we can live there it gives us powers that we don't have of our own nature so that's what happens at baptism the soul is flooded with sanctifying grace supernatural life so someone can live the life of heaven if we die with sanctifying grace we're supernatural life we can live in heaven remember as the scriptures say by nature we're born children of wrath one of the horrible effects of Adam's sin is we're born without grace we're born without the ability to live in heaven so we have to get it somehow 
It comes from the church. It comes through baptism. We're all born dead, supernaturally speaking. But baptism brings us to life. That's what our Lord talks about being born again in, in the water. Okay? Fourth merciful effect. The soul of the newly baptized man is united to Christ our Lord. Our Lord is divine. And baptism makes us one of the branches, okay? Baptism unites the soul to Christ, makes it a branch on the vine, so to speak. That's what our whole religion, the point of our religion is about contact with our Lord, allowing our Lord's life to transform our life, allowing our Lord to make things new in us, which are damaged or broken or dead, okay? The whole point of our Lord becoming man is so we can have a living contact with him. That's the whole point for the priesthood. And it starts... For each one of us at baptism, the soul of a newly baptized man is united to Christ. And through that union with our Lord, supernatural virtues are poured in. The virtues like faith, hope and charity, prudence, justice, fortitude and temperance. Sanctifying grace changes the way we are. It makes us holy, pleasing to God, alive. But these supernatural virtues change the way we act. They give us the ability to do things that are beyond our power. For example, here's an example of something that we can believe by the virtue of faith. We believe there's certain men that can whisper words to pieces of bread, and that bread becomes a man, and that man is God. I'm one of those men. We can only believe that because God gave us the power. That's not obvious. We believe that because we have a supernatural power given to us by God. We believe that. We have to believe that. That's our faith. But this is a power that gives us to do things that are above our ability to do of our own accord, okay? Only people that have the faith can believe our Lord is really present. Body, blood, soul, and divinity, the most blessed sacrament. Only people with the supernatural power. No one else can. And it comes to us with, with grace. No one else has that ability except those with the faith. It's supernatural. Fifth merciful effect. Baptism impresses our soul with this indelible mark. It's called a character. It's a spiritual mark, and it can never be blotted out. You want to think of it kind of like when you brand a calf, but it's like getting branded on the soul, okay? The character of baptism is important because it makes the soul capable of receiving the other sacraments, okay? That explains why even though Our Lady is completely free from original and actual sin, she's baptized. Cornelius Lapide points out, according to the teaching of the fathers, Christ our Lord baptized too, his mother and St. Peter. Okay? The character makes a baptized soul different from those who don't have it. It's kind of like a spiritual brand showing that this person is a Christian. So baptism impresses this indelible character, and since it's indelible, it can never be repeated again. As St. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One baptism. One. Sixth merciful effect. Because baptism removes original and actual sin and the punishment due to sin, it opens the gates of heaven to the person baptized. Beforehand, the gates were closed to that person. Now it's opened. We'll talk later about baptism of desire, baptism of blood. Not today. So the six merciful effects of baptism are first, the remission of original and actual sin. Second, the release of all punishment whatsoever that's due to sin. Third, 
the soul becomes supernaturally alive because it's filled with sanctifying grace. Fourth, the soul becomes united to Christ and so it's filled with these supernatural powers, these virtues like faith, hope, and charity. Fifth, the soul is marked with a permanent character, making it capable of receiving other sacraments. And sixth, the gates of heaven are open to the baptized man. Now that we've seen the merciful effects of baptism, it's easy to understand why it's so essential. How necessary is it? The infallible teaching of the Catholic Church was expressed in a canon by the, at the Council of Trent. If anyone saith that baptism is optional, that is, not necessary for salvation, let him be anathema. If anyone saith that baptism is optional, not necessary for salvation, let him be anathema. Why is it so necessary? Because we're born without supernatural life. Thanks, Adam. In order to live the life to heaven, which is the same as saying in order to be saved, we have to be supernaturally alive. We get that supernatural life poured into us when we're baptized, okay? Let's take a while to look at the basic aspects of baptism, okay? The matter, the form, the minister, and the intention. We're going to look at the matter, the form, the minister, and the intention. The outward sign of a sacrament has two parts determined by God the Son. One part is called the matter. The matter is the stuff used in a sacrament. The outward part of the sign, the other part is called the form. What's the form? That's the words. So the matter is the stuff, the form is the word. For example, the, word, the matter for the most blessed sacrament is wheat bread, not rice bread, not barley bread or something, wheat bread and grape wine, not apple wine. Not peach wine, wheat bread, grape wine. Okay, that's the matter. The form is hocus uh, corpus meum. This is my body, and this is my blood. Okay, the chalice of my blood. So that's the matter of the form. The matter for the sacrament of holy orders is a baptized man. With all due respect to the wacko feminists, you know, it's a baptized man. That's the matter for the sacrament of holy orders. Okay, so matters the stuff and form is the words. What are the matter and form of baptism? The matter, the stuff of baptism is water, natural water. So it doesn't have to be clean, it could be dirty water, but it's water. So it could be tap water, it could be pool water, it could be holy water, it could be baptismal water. It can, it can be all kinds of different water. Not snow, not beer. If you melt the snow, then you got water, but rubbing the snow is not, okay? Not beer, not wine, not spit, not fruit juice, not amniotic fluid. What we commonly regard as water, that's what's used for baptism. Okay, water. Okay, Father, how did ordinary water get the power, these miraculous powers? You said six powers that come from pouring water on somebody and baptizing. Where did it get the power? Our Lord gave power to the water when he himself was baptized by St. John the Baptist. St. Augustine, a great bishop and doctor of church, says, quote, The Lord is baptized not because he had to be cleansed, but in order to, by the contact of his pure flesh, he might purify the waters and impart to them the power of cleansing, close quote. So water got the power to baptize by contact with Christ our Lord. Our whole religion has something to do about contact with Christ our Lord. It's important to keep that in mind. That's why he gave water the power, because there's a certain contact with him. The church exists 
to bring each one of us into intimate contact with Christ our Lord, and through that means to bring us into the family of the most blessed Trinity. God became man so we can become adopted sons of the Father, living in the life of the Holy Spirit just as He does from all eternity, okay? We can live with His life, and that's the reason He became man. And that life starts with the soul, with water. That's the matter of baptism. The form... The words are, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, or I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. doesn't matter, but not names. There's only one God, so in the name, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. doesn't matter whether you say Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. There's two other important things to keep in mind when we're talking about a sacrament. The minister and his intention. For every sacrament, God uses a minister. For example, for the most blessed sacrament, the minister is a validly ordained priest. For marriage... The ministers are the husband and the wife. That's why it's important for you guys to stay in the state of grace, because you minister sanctifying grace to each other. You're the minister. The husband's the minister to the wife, and the wife's the, husband, the minister to the husband of sanctifying grace. Okay? So they're the ministers of the sacrament. Baptism. Who's the minister of the baptism? Anyone who has the use of reason. Anyone. That means small people. Everybody that's made the first communion certainly has the use of reason. Protestants. Jews. Muslims, pagans, anyone, anyone can baptize. It's so important that God gave anyone the power to be the minister that has the use of reason. So that's the minister. Anyone have the use of reason? What's the intention? The intention is pretty general. All you have to do is have intention to do what the church does. If you have intention to do what the church does, you can godly baptize, okay? The minister is anyone having the use of reason who intends to do what the church does. Christ made it possible for basically anyone to baptize, okay? Two pagans can baptize each other, and they become Catholic. Two Jews can baptize each other, and they become Catholic, okay? All right, how do we baptize in the case of emergency? Someone dying. First off, don't wait for the priest. Do not wait for the priest. This is a salvation issue. Anybody can do it. That's why we're supposed to preach to you every year. So you get this. Don't wait for the priest, okay? Anyone over the age of reason, little kids can do this. You need to intend to do what the church does. In other words, you need to tend to baptize a person if they're not already baptized. We'll go over three cases. First, an unconscious dying adult that you're not sure is baptized. Unconscious, dying adult, you're not sure is baptized. Take water, and while, while you're pouring it, saying the words, I baptize you. You say, if you're capable, I baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Even if you get excited, you're intended to do it if he's not baptized, so it'll count. Even if you get, oh, I forgot to say if you're capable, okay? You, you mean, I, if you're capable, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, or I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. The same person pouring the water has to say the words. It's not a team effort. It has to be one person. The person pouring is the minister. They have to say the words. If possible, the water should be poured on the forehead, okay? Not on the hair. It has to be on skin. Not on hair, on skin. So water over the forehead, on the skin, it must flow on the skin. It has to move over the skin. Even if you only have a drop, like when you have to baptize a little teeny baby, you just get a drop and you move it along with your finger because it's flowing then because you don't want to get some poor little kid wet, you know, when he's that small. Okay? So even if you have all they have is a drop that dribbles, that's sufficient. As the water is flowing, you say the words, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. 
It's easy. It's hard to mess up. It's a pretty easy sacrament, okay? If the forehead isn't there, it's been a bad wreck. Pour the water to find some skin. Hand, wrist, neck, whatever. On some skin. An ear, okay? Any exposed skin. Shoulder, neck, hand, what have you. As the water's flowing, say the words, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you're capable, I baptize. Who knows? The good God could put you in a situation where this person wanted baptism, didn't know enough about it, and you came along. He arranges things like that. You want to take care of it. Because if that person is properly disposed and you baptize them, you know from all the effects and they die right then, what does that mean? No punishment, instant heaven. This is important to understand. Okay? Second, miscarriage. Now there's a handout. We'll have a lot of copies of it next week. A lot of people have it. There's probably some here, but we run out of them pretty quick. But there's a handout on how to baptize in the case of miscarriage. We'll also email it out this week. Everybody should have a copy of this. When you know people get married, give them a copy. Put it in with the present or in the card or something. It's a good thing for people to have around. Okay? Here's the basic idea. You fill a bowl with lukewarm water. You break open the sack that surrounds the little baby. If you can't see the sack, you do all this as if it's there because you don't know them. But if you can see the little sack, you break it open. You open it up because you need to expose the baby. You're not baptizing outside. Just open up that little sack. You cut that open. Then if you don't break it, no baptism, okay? So break it open. If you can't find it, then you just do this as if you're doing the best you can. But you swirl it around. You swirl that around the water. You say, if you're capable, I baptize in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you're moving around, and you say, if you're capable, I baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Bowl of lukewarm water, open little sack, gently swirl around the water where you say the words, if you're capable, I baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? If there's a little baby there, and you baptize him, instant saint. You have a saint in the family. It's wonderful. Okay? If you can't, you know, if all you see is, is kind of a mess, you're not sure, you don't know if there's a baby there, it's still a conditional baptism. Because if there was a baby there, if there's a soul there, and the soul's still there, you baptize it, that's, that baby's going to be a saint, okay? Third, newborn baby in the hospital. We're not talking about a premium respirator, okay? If it's your newborn, he's having problems or dying. Take it. Don't wait for the priest. Do this right away. We even have a thing on it. Well, there's a little section in the baptism form with the child privately baptized. Why? Because we want you to do it so that you're not waiting. If I can't get there, you buzz me. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on one side of town. I've got 45 minutes. No. Do it right then, okay? Take a cotton ball. Get it wet, wet with lukewarm water. Depending on how he's laying, place it up here on his temple, on his forehead, and just squeeze gently, and you'll get a drop or two to flow out. So you just touch that cotton ball with a little water and squeeze, and a drop or two will flow out as he's laying there, just like this, or whatever. And as that little drop of water is going along, you say, I baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. I baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Make sure that little drop of water is moving as you say the words. If it's a dying newborn of anybody else, if he's dying, but only if he's dying, baptize him. If yours is having problems, baptize him. I'll take care of all the rest. You know, there's a whole thing for supplying the ceremonies. If there's doubt, you baptize him. We'll take care of that later. Don't worry. I won't yell at you. I'll be happy. <laughs> you know, because that's what we're trying to get people to heaven here. Okay, if it's somebody else's, like if you're a nurse or a physician or something like that, if he's dying, but only if he's dying, baptize him. He'll be a saint. Don't do it if he's not dying, because all of a sudden you made a little Catholic. If he isn't brought up right, it's your fault. 
don't baptize him. But if you, if you have reasonable belief that he's dying, baptize him. All right? You can make up some line. I have a priest that's had to do this. You know, you just make up lines where you're cleaning his forehead or whatever, you know. You're doing a little naming ceremony. Make something up. It's not a lie because you just say, I'm cleaning his forehead. Well, you are, supernaturally, too. See, that's, that's not a lie at all. You want to do this. Say the word so quietly that only you can hear it. But you get that little guy baptized. Get him baptized. Don't let him die without it. You're going to get a saint in heaven. He's going to be helping you in your state in life. He's certainly going to help his parents to become what they need. This is a salvation issue. Obviously, depending on where you work, emergency personnel, nurses, physicians, you have a great responsibility, but a great opportunity to do incredible work here. The most important work. Most important, saving souls. Okay, finally, how long after death is it okay conditionally baptized until decomposition visible decomposition sets in don't worry if they're blue you don't know if the soul's there the soul may still be there the late great father Harden reported a case of a lady in Chicago he was 25 years uh, uh, a chaplain in a hospital and he reported a case of a lady in Chicago who was blue and frozen solid for 8 hours by the time she's brought in and she ended up walking out of that hospital. The point is, is just because they're blue doesn't mean the soul's gone yet. You don't know. If they're, if they're not decomposing, conditionally baptize them. It's not sacrilegious. It's a good thing. If they're in pieces, that's decomposed. But they're starting to fall apart. That's decomposed. But if they're just blue, go ahead and uh, conditionally baptize them. Okay? Let's close. We've seen that the Council of Trent teaches that if anyone says that baptism is optional, that is, not necessary for salvation, let them be anathema. We've seen how to baptize in emergency. We'll pour water over the skin. The same person that's pouring says, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. While squeezing water out of a cotton ball, the same person says, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.